Welcome to Across the Pond, a Christian commentary on the way of Jesus in the world today with the co-founders of Red Letter Christians, Dr. Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. Red Letter Christians gets its name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red, and we are aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. Some episodes of this podcast have been adapted from our radio show, Across the Pond, which airs on Sunday afternoons in the UK on Premier Radio. Thank you for listening. Let's jump into this week's episode with Shane Claiborne. Hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and the name of the show is Across the Pond. Across the Pond, because I'm over here in the United States recording the show and talking about how our faith intersects with the world that we live in. We're not using our faith just as a ticket into heaven uh, and a license to ignore the world we live in right now, but we're, we're saying our faith We're excited about heaven, but our faith has significance right now in the world that we're in. And so we like talking about substantial stuff. And I love having friends. And today I've got a a good friend joining me in just a minute. But before I, I'm going to surprise you. So I don't want to introduce him quite yet. I want to tell you what we're talking about today. Uh, Today, we are talking about the Christian industrial complex, specifically when it comes to music, right? Uh, Because there's this whole thing um, that I've been thinking about, uh, copywriting heaven's hits, as I've been saying, which is sort of these folks, you know, that often we say, you know, God gave me this. And there's, there's musicians that say, God gave me this song. But then the fact is that if you sing that song in church, you have to pay royalties on it. Uh, and, and in fact, there's a whole industry around this that we're going to talk about with one of the experts, uh, because I don't really know what I'm talking about. I just know when you worship in, in a service, you see this little thing at the bottom of the screen. Sometimes it says CCLI. And the more you look into it, the more like kind of questions I had that there's, you know, over $40 million a year that's going towards Christian songwriters, which is awesome. I got friends with a lot of these guys, but you start to go, where's that money going? Where's it coming from? What are we doing with it? There's not a lot of transparency. So, um, and I knew, you know, one minister I was talking to, we, 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 I was uh, talking to this music minister and he said, he knew there was a problem when they sang a song in church that really all it said was Jesus over and over. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then at the bottom, it said copyright CCLI number. (laughs) Wow, we're literally copywriting God. So uh, here we go. We're going to get into it. And my friend and my guest today is Malcolm Duplessis. And he is uh, a veteran of this industry. He's doing great work now that we're going to talk about later uh, with a, a group called Common Hymnal, which is uh, one of the co-conspirators, as we call them, our partner groups that we work with with Red Letter Christians. Uh, but first of all, Malcolm, thanks, buddy, for carving out some time to join me. Thanks for inviting me. It's good to, to be in this discussion. So uh, we're, we're going to dive in. So, you know, I, I, it's been some of my statistics are a little outdated, you know, but I asked you about this and you said it's more that the, the numbers are more now than they yes. were several years ago because of all the live streaming and stuff that people are doing virtually. Um, so this $40 million may be even higher now than it was in like 10 years ago or something. Right? I, I, mean, I suspect so. Ago. I don't have the exact numbers, but I suspect it's on the increase. And, you know, my, my friend Tim Hughes over in the UK, you know, I've been to, to, to speak at his church and we've gotten to be friends and uh, I love what they're doing um, there. But one I, I remember hearing at one point his one of his songs 
was the most song, uh, the most sung song in the world, sung more than any other song except for Happy Birthday. <laughs> you know, this song like Here I Am to Worship, right? Uh, and, you know, Chris Tomlin, who I've done some stuff with, you know, he's been called the king of worship music. And it's, it's, it's said that every Sunday between 60,000 and 120,000 churches are singing Chris Tomlin's songs. That means like 20 to 30 million people all over the world singing them, you know, three over 3 million times in a year, uh, which some of these songs I grew up with, well, not Chris's, but, you know, I grew up with these worship songs, but then you uh -huh. begin to really dig a little bit, right, Malcolm? And you see that they're, that, that even the songs we love, there's a, an underbelly of an industry behind this. So, so like for folks that don't know about it, just explain what CCLI is, that little thing we see on our worship screens. CCLI is a collection agency for public performances of songs. Um, so the, the business of songs is central to, to music. And, and the, the, let me I'll give you a little bit of a, a, a mini history. Music publishing is the term. It's called publishing because publishing, it was music publishers that publishes songbooks was the way that you could learn how to play Happy Birthday and Home on the Range back in the day. So when the LP was invented, the, the administration of the money that went to songs had to change. And so music publishing is an industry that's been developed to protect the interest uh, in, in the monies that are made in songs. CCLI is an external agency. It's not a publisher. It's not the songwriter. It's a third-party agency that has come up with an idea to, to give permission to churches to reproduce the lyrics for songs that are sung and to collect monies and distribute them amongst the publishers and the songwriters. So that, that was the quickest pricey I can come up with. I like it. So, you know, I, and I don't give my books away. I mean, we sell them, there's bookstores, there's no industry to uh, so, much, so much of this stuff that we do. But I think that, that what's interesting about this is how little we know, how little yes. tran transparency there is, right? If someone said to me, you know, you've sold 300,000 books, what did you do with that money? I am really excited to tell them, right? In fact, I've got a whole list of about 300 organizations that we support and my living stipend I learned this from Rich Mullins, uh, Malcolm. Yes. Have you, do you know Rich Mullins? I, is, you know, I know Rich's story and I know your story. So, yeah, but you, yes. So what he did, you know, he, he, first of all, Rich was a really simple guy. That's where I got my idea of wearing white t-shirts every day. Uh, <laughs> he pretty much wore the same thing every day. He lived really simply. For a lot of his, uh, his adult life, he lived on a native reservation and he started like writing songs that became really popular. And, and honestly, some of his, most popular songs are not my favorite ones, but they were, you know, they're beautiful. Our God yes. is an awesome God. You know, he wrote these songs mm -hmm. and he's singing worship and he started making a bunch of money off of it, but he capped off his income at, um, I think at the time it was like $20,000, right? It was the average wage of the, the community he was in, which suffered from a lot of poverty. So he said, no matter how much my songs sell, I just need enough to live off of. And I really respect that. I mean, John yes. Wesley did that. A lot of folks have done that so that you're not driven by the market and you're not, uh, you're not distracted from your pure you know, ambitions of creating music and worship. And, and for me, writing books. So like my, my living stipend doesn't change based on how many speaking events or books I sell or something. I think we've got to protect ourselves from it. But talk a little bit about like, I mean, is there transparency? Do we know where the money, like when, when congregations are paying royalties essentially for worship songs that they sing, 
where does that money go? How big is the bureaucracy and how much of it's going to the artists and how much of it's going to some kind of abyss that we don't know what it is? It, it, it's not, it's not, I, it, it's not transparent. Um, there is, there's a fee that they, the organization takes and there's publishers that lobby that fee down, you know, over, you know, over time, but it's, it's, it's definitely a mysterious, it's definitely a mysterious business. The, the awkward part for me as a person who's in it is that as a non-dualist thinker, it's really hard to suddenly come up with a dualist idea of the sacred and the secular. <laughs> so, so somehow I can't have a different business policy with spiritual matters. And when, when, when do I decide that spirituality begins and stops? You know, is it the lyric? Is it, you know, so the, the business of songs, I don't think there's a way to combat it or protest it. it is, it's a legitimate business that exists in the world. And it's impossible to say, well, if you, if you put a scripture in it, well, then, then that should be a different, you know, formula. But, but, but the, 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 the collection of songs and, and, and oh Shane, this is this is <laughs> sensitive matters for me. I said I'm going to come on, and I'm now regretting it. <laughs> um, it's 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 not no, it's not transparent. But not much in the Christian music world is transparent. I happen to be someone who's a confident, and I happen to know in my life, you know, several hundred, if not several thousand, secrets that are really difficult. I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable about what goes on. If the average pastor anywhere in the world knew what was on the other end of this world, I think they would be silent. I don't think anybody would be annoyed or freaking out. I think there would be a sadness and a soberness and a, and, and a processing. I, it, it, there's another whole world here. Mm. I don't mm. think necessarily, I, I, I think that, like when you've just talked about Rich, yourself and Rich Mullins, I think the key thing in Christianity is what is our relationship with money? Yeah. What do we so believe I, about? I didn't have any real ulterior motives for this, uh, Malcolm. I, I really, we started talking about it and I've been so fascinated. But I want to say that I think it's time for those of us that care about um that, that our budgets are moral documents, you know, they, they, they kind of tell where our heart is, uh, where your treasure is, your heart is. And so maybe it's time that we start asking where the money that's generated through worship songs is going. Like, uh, is it going towards kingdom work? Like, because I, I would love to see it because I, I want, I think those should be things that we're proud of, right. We're excited about, and this is, we're not talking small change here. We're talking yes. billions of dollars. That's um, this industry generates um, yes. over $40 million a year. And uh and it can mess with you. You know, like now I sing some of these songs or, you know, we were just with your friend, Will, who wrote that song, Break Every Chain. I'm like, oh, yeah, love it. So, you know, break every chain, break every. Y'all are going to hear me sing on this show and you're going to be turning the dial. But, um, you know, and you, but you start to go, man, that must have made a lot of money. And I can remember one time I was at this conference, Malcolm, and I was backstage and I heard these artists talking, musicians uh -huh. talking. And one of them said to the other one, he said, well, you, you know, what you really need is a worship album and that that's where the money is in the worship yes. scene you get you know paid according to how many songs you're in worship so you, you only need one or two hits this is what he said to the other one right you only need one or two hits and you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars so i mean something is in me like oh you know and and yet like 
so where where is the 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 you've got a equilibrium here right like that you've kind of found because you're still in the industry but you're able to be a friendly critic of the industry so what what would you recommend like what for me for me personally i'm in i've played a part i've been a consultant to executives in this industry for for several decades so i found a place i'm very i'm known as a provocateur i was I was, I was employed by, by the, 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 the owner or the, the leader of the, biggest, of the biggest entity in Christian music for 21 years, and he called me his provocateur. So I, I, I know how to be a conscience where I'm at within the industry and know how to be a conscience um, with the individuals. I have a life also outside of Christianity and music, so I've helped a fair number of people go from obscurity to celebrity in songwriting business and become multimillionaires. And so in each, I've had a lot of experience of watching the way people's relationship with money changes the moment the money comes in. And I basically concluded that the window of, of it determining a relationship with money comes before the money comes. There's a reason that the camel and the eye of the needle are discussed because it's yeah. really, really tricky. Um, but the commodification of religion goes way beyond worship. And it's the only thing that, in answer to your question, it's the only thing that got Jesus really, really animated when he saw people trading. And basically what they were doing is they were making worship resources readily available. Ooh, uh -oh. why, why drag your cow across town? Yeah, we, <laughs> we, got, we got cows, we got chickens, we got, we got everything you need. And he said, you've turned this into a, into a den of robbers and thieves and then mentioned the antidotes. This is a house of prayer for all nations, for all ethnicities. For me personally, my, my conviction is the antidote to the commodification of religion is an emphasis on the inheritance of Christ being all the nations and ethnicities in the world. It's the only thing I know to bring to the table. Ooh, uh, wow, <laughs> the commodification of religion. Whoa, listen, y'all, if you're just joining us, it's an incredible conversation today with Malcolm Duplessis. He's a friend of mine. He's also uh, one of the leaders with Common Hymnal, who um, uh, we're going to hear more about in a little bit. But we're talking about the Christian industrial complex, especially when it comes to music, the uh, some $40 million or more that are made, uh, are generated from worship songs and, and music that we sing in the church. And as we jump back into the conversation, Malcolm, I, I really discovered this as we did a, a beautiful holy project called Common Prayer. And we're, yes. we compiled this, uh, it's been a little over 10 years ago, where we put prayers together, we put liturgy, we remembered saints uh, from lots of different traditions. And the whole, the whole idea was to create a resource that we could pray together with the unity that Jesus said, you know, may we be one as Jesus is one, as God is one. And then um, yes. we started compiling the songs, right? And we said, well, we need a songbook as a part of this that takes, uh, you know, African spirituals and freedom songs and hymns and contemporary songs. And we got them from all over the world, you know, from communities like Northumbria and from different Anabaptist movements. And, and then we got to the contemporary songs. And honestly, we weren't really looking for a ton of them, but there's a few, you know, I, I love that song. Uh, um, I need you to survive, you know, <laughs> I love you. I need you to survive. And, uh, 
a few others. And then, but the more that we looked into the contemporary songs, we couldn't afford to include them in the, the song portion of this uh, thing. And, and here, here's the deal. We had like a budget, I think, of $50,000. So we're not talking little money. Mm -hmm. um, but the older the song was, the easier it was to get a hold of, right? Yes. Pre-CCLI, <laughs> <laughs> right? And even some of the old hymns, like they're just open to, you know, you can put them in your, in your prayer book. Uh, but then these new songs, I could not believe how much it would cost just to put the song, to include that song in our book. So... Does that surprise you? <laughs> no, no, no. But but once again, what's the answer to your question? CCLI does not ma manage that. CCLI okay. manages the public performances of songs in churches on Sunday mornings. It's a very finite jurisdiction that it has. But each song has, is, has to be administered by someone. There's, you know, the music, basically there's, 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 um, law in America that if you record a song, even if you give it away for free, you have to pay the songwriter so many cents. It's it's statutory law. Yeah. There's, and I think so, you, you make a good point that this is not just a Christian thing, right? But you like I my wife Malcolm, she's a great lip synker. And so she did a lip sync on uh Twitter for me that um the the person will remain anonymous. <laughs> right. no, the artist, but we got a letter, a legal letter from their um I don't yes. know, whoever owns those copyrights that said she couldn't lip sync. And I'm like, that's how good your lip sync was, honey. You know, and, and we had to take it down, right? But you kind of hope for a little bit more from the church, right? Like that that we would have a little bit more um, creativity, I guess, you know, with, with sharing things that we think are inspired by God. We would want everybody to be able to, to really um, sing songs that God gave us, right? Not have to pay royalties each time we sing them. And that's and has where my activism is in this way. What do I what do I personally do? Common Hymnal is a little publishing company. Yeah, tell I us about it, man. I started a new one. This is this is just the business of Common Hymnal. This is not about Common Hymnal. This is Common Hymnal started a little publishing company, but I I could have started it as a nonprofit with a multi-ethnic board, and then I would have been the patronizing white guy, you know, doing something. So I actually set up an LLC, but we have the say. Of, of what happens with licensing. So we, so the, the power of those fees lies in the hands of the song owner and the publisher. The song owner ultimately has the ultimate say and can say, no, I can give it to you for free. But most of the songwriters have a third party representing them. So I've got an entity. Ultimately, I've not taken one cent from Common Hymnal. I, I would regard myself as a relative of where you are in your relationship with money. I've not taken one cent and I have no intention to take any money from Common Hymnal. What I'm building a BIPOC company. Mm -hmm. um, we have a shortage because most of this money, when there's a, there's a separate subject, there's a subsidiary discussion. Most of this money all is in the hands of white-owned entities. Even many of the black entities, the, the beneficiaries are white-owned entities. So there's, there's many battles to be fought. Yeah, wow. So, and I, so, I don't want to, yeah, go ahead. You finish your thoughts. So I'm saying my activism is what do I do? I start a new entity where we have the say. So if you say we want to use a common hymnal song, I just send a little a little email that says, God bless you. You have our blessing and our permission. And then I put, <laughs> and then I drag that into a little folder on my desktop. And I've got a record that, that if anybody gets upset with me and I've got an administrator that works for us and they have to call me every single time. So, so I, you know, I had, I had a previous administrator and, 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 a, and, a, and a gay parade in, in, in Massachusetts wanted to use one of our songs 
and so the 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 administrator just presumed that we wouldn't want want to give them permission um, to use the song. So they called me in a, in a panic, and I said, "No, they absolutely can, and and and, we'll, and it doesn't. We don't have to. We don't have to pay." So the, the CCLI is not is only only administers one pocket, and yeah. that's an important pocket. It's a big pocket, and it's the driving pocket, and and my I've met. I've met the people, all the people involved. So if you, I, I can tell you that I'm, I've met one of the owners and I told them in my, my opening discussion with one of the owners of one of, not CCI, another entity, another massive one. I said, so-and-so. Yeah, because you got all these, right? You've got Hillsong, Vineyard, Maverick Music. There's all these different entities. Entities. But they're all, but much of their, especially their worship songs are still under this umbrella of CCLI when it comes to the licensing the of the singing of it, right? Or singing, but then there's other entities that administer songbooks. There's there's multi-tracks is a big thing because many churches use the tracks of the original stuff and then they charge fees. There's there's a truckload of conduits that happen. So I met one of them a few years ago, and my opening statement was I said, "Look, I'm I'm happy to meet you. I think we're gonna have a fine time, but I want you to know that your business and your idea is quite honestly the most unhelpful thing to the cause of Christ." Let's wow. just let me just let me put that on the table. And then he defended it and I spoke. And so I'm someone who has the privilege of, be, of knowing all the, the parties. And so I'm in those discussions fairly regularly. I don't know that I, as, a, as, as a, a person who has a relationship, I'm constantly badgering. I'm a protester by nature. I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm polarizing. I'm outspoken. So I'm constantly speaking, but I don't know how to change the entirety. But my, I will meet with every individual and say, what is your relationship with money? Great. Well, we're, we're just got a few minutes left. And by yes, the no way, y'all, we're going to do another show to hear more about Common Hymnal with Malcolm. Uh, my guest is Malcolm Duplessy. Uh, and we're, he's a veteran of the Christian music industry world. And did you, did you first get involved because you did a song or did you did you publish some music early on? I, I was a worship leader and a musician and a songwriter in my 20s. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And we got a lot of mutual friends. You know, we've worked closely with Stu G, who was a part of Delirious, who I've confessed mm -hmm. to him. I still listen to sometimes when I work out some uh, Del <laughs> Delirious band. But um, so we in our last few minutes, um, you know, as we think about this, I want to invite you all listening in that we're not trying to, to just kind of go and sabotage CCLI or whatever, but I do think we need transparency. And I think it's enough to ask, what is the executives of CCLI making? What, where, what's their budget look like? And I think we should do that of any uh, business that we support. And, you know, when you give money to a nonprofit organization, I think all of us should see what the executive is making. And incidentally, if you want to see what we make at Red Letter Christians, I'm very excited to show you because <laughs> I, I think you'll know exactly where your money goes. But, um, you know, we, we need transparency and, and maybe we need to push things a little bit when, when you talk about this commodification of, of religion, Malcolm, because I think part of what Jesus did was he healed with mud and spit, right? Uh -huh. And I thought, man, that must have made the people who were selling anointing oil really frustrated, you know, because there were people that were marketing <laughs> Like your healing has a price tag on it, right? Your uh -huh. prayers have a price tag on it. And it's no coincidence that he flipped the table in the temple, right? So I want to give you the, the last word, though, as you think of like, what are other things that we can do to prayerfully, gently, Jesus-like, uh, in a Jesus-like way, um, uh, offer some corrective or some accountability to the Christian industry? And we, we just got a couple minutes left, bro. 
I think you've modeled it. I think what you I think that the what we need is curiosity and questioning and engagement, which you've just modeled in this discussion. I, I think that someone like me, I can engage with the people I know, but if the masses started asking questions and probing, it's the, it's the age of democratization. It's the time for people. I, the questions are not only this, I just say it's multi-layered. There's one issue pertaining to money. There's also an issue pertaining to ideology and you know racism and all these other issues, justice issues that we face in our world. And so many of these songs come out of we should we should know where our songs were written by and what those people believe because many times we're supporting those as well i think curiosity and and, and investigation and everybody speaking up is the only thing i can put on the table it's so good it's so good y'all and this is not like we said not just a christian thing i can remember when metallica i think it was got upset that their you know stuff was put out there for free but we live in a changing world and a lot of things are more accessible we've got interesting you know uh ways that we can share through creative commons a lot of the world is being really generous with knowledge and wisdom and i see folks that are even pushing that the the patents on the vaccine you know be made more available and you know mm-hmm. i don't give i don't give all my books away i've worked with some big publishers but you know what i do malcolm is i i've created a space where i can have discernment right so i give yes. my book i give my books away to people who are incarcerated i give my books away whenever i want to to people that may not be able to afford it like I give my books away overseas. So I think that that's kind of what we need is not this stringent thing that is uh, 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 putting such strict rules on worship music that you can't access the things that God has freely given. And y'all, that's what the early Christians said. The gospel, which is freely given to us, should never be sold. Woo, that's a good word for this conversation. So anything else, Malcolm, before we close, brother? I sat with a pastor in England 20 years ago who had five of the biggest songwriters in England. And I asked him what he thought about C.C. Lani. He said he'd never heard about it. Huh. I think the curiosity and investigation amongst Christian leaders is absolutely vital. So thank you all for listening and keep the curiosity. Let's keep leaning in. Let's be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. So thanks for listening. Thanks, Malcolm, for being my guest. We're going to do another show with Malcolm Duplessy. But for today, we're uh, going to sign off. Thank you all for listening in. Listen to your music and ask where the money goes. All right. Bye-bye, y'all. <laughs> we hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about Red Letter Christians, please visit redletterchristians.org for resources, upcoming events, and to connect with other people who are passionate about Jesus and justice. You can follow Shane Cleborn and Red Letter Christians on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you'd like to support our work with a one-time gift or by becoming a monthly sustainer of the movement, please visit our website and click on the red donate button. Thank you for tuning in.